This episode of With Love and Justice for All is brought to you by Bliss Books and Wine. Bliss Books and Wine is an independent black-owned bookstore for wine enthusiasts and book lovers. Listed as one of the black-owned bookstores in America that amplify the best in literature by OprahDaily.com, Bliss Books and Wine is your go-to for all your favorite titles, including ebooks and audiobooks. And when we buy from black-owned businesses, we are helping to create a world of racial equity. When ordering online, use the code 846BOOK for a 10% discount. That's 846-B-O-O-K for a 10% discount at blissbooksandwine.com. Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Hello and welcome back to With Love and Justice for All. Happy 2024. Yeah, I think that's right. 2024. We survived 2023. Yay. And the world's still on fire. I am Reverend Ogan Holder. And uh, as I said, this is With Love and Justice for All, the official podcast of Project Sanctus, where we have conversations around embodied anti-racism, dismantling of fostering liberation, and a special lean-in towards the challenges that arise as spiritual seekers. I'm here with my partner in crime, co-creation, and consciousness, Reverend Kelly Isla. Happy New Year, Kelly. How are, how, how's it going where you are? Actually, right now it's been, snow has been pouring down overnight, so we're somewhere around eight inches. Oh, my God. I know, and I'm very happy about it because I know, give it a couple days, it'll be gone. But it's beautiful outside, the white, you know, and when you, I know you don't like cold, and I'm okay with it because it's beautiful when you walk in it and it's really quiet and it's crunchy. Um mm-hmm. And, but the wind is blowing, the snow is coming down, so it's the kind that hurts your face. <laughs> so, so you're not outside what's, for long. <laughs> what's not to love? Anyways. It's beautiful. But, uh, yeah, for, sure so for Kansas City area, you know, it's that's a big deal because our winters, you know, the past several years with global warming, you know, our winters have yeah. not really been wintry. Some uh, friend of mine sent me pictures from Massachusetts um, yesterday where they also had a snowstorm and we'll probably mm-hmm. be also getting what you're getting a little bit later. Um, yep. And you're right. It is it is beautiful. And for me, even more beautiful uh, from a distance. Um, so <laughs> I, I continue my my nomad escapes winter uh, stay yep. in in Barbados. But you're going to love this. Um, next week, I actually have to be in Massachusetts um, for a, a work a work thing for about three or four days so like i tried to escape winter and winter said uh-uh hold my That's hold my so hot fast. chocolate yes hold my hot chocolate you're coming back right. here so so i'll get a i'll get a taste of it so no matter where you are listening whether it is nice and uh sunny and tropical where i am or it is buried beneath eight to ten inches of snow uh like where kelly is um, thank you to all our listeners um, in over 30 countries around the world. Um, we appreciate your listening. We appreciate your subscribing. We appreciate you spreading the word about the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can hit us up on the socials at, at Get Our Holy On. 
um, or leave a message on our voicemail at 413-438-4659. That's 413-GET-HOLY. Um, so we we tweaked the format a little bit um, of the show coming off of our little short winter break, but uh, we're still in season three. And we're gonna we're gonna jump in with with some happenings. We're gonna do just a few headlines, and then we will jump into our main topic of the day. So, happenings, going ons, comings up. What do you got for us, Kelly? Yeah, we we're not allowed to use that announcements word. <laughs> you know, no, no, just ban it. <laughs> okay, so our exciting happenings. How's that? Is uh our regular um twice a month affinity groups on the first and third wednesday of every month you can go to projectsanctus.com and register the first wednesday of the month is um communal group and then on the third wednesday a month is the affinity groups where um we split into two groups um bipoc which ogan facilitates and those that identify as white bodies that i facilitate that's 7 30 to 9 eastern uh first and third Wednesdays. There is, Ogan has a, a group that he's doing uh, second and fourth Wednesdays. It's called Men Better Together. Ogan, why don't you say a couple words about that? I think that would be more effective um, than me. <laughs> sure, I'll go for it. Uh, so this, this is a men's group that on Zoom that I, I created to help us together, men, um, sort of, uh, uh, address the embedded patriarchy that we have within us and ways to recognize it, uh, shift it. Um, I, I, you know, I always say it's not a matter of if, but how we are uh, maintaining and upholding systems of oppression. And I know for me as a man, a lot of, a lot of embedded patriarchy in me. So my, my personal work has really been um, more towards that as well, as well as my collective, you know, anti-racism, anti-capitalism work. So, um, so I, I'm inviting other men to join me in this. And we got a nice little group going. Uh, so again, second and fourth Wednesdays, 8 p.m. And you can find more information on my website, revogenholder.com slash men. It's free to join. Um, and then I'm also running a grief cohort. Um, so I do grief coaching and counseling as well. So um, I'm trying to pull some folks together so we can, you know, I was about to say misery loves company. Not so much misery loves company, but that too. Um, It it does, it does insofar as healing requires a collective component. Thank you. You said that so much better. So you were all like, you talked about your stuff. You'll probably do a better job. Not necessarily true. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you for that. Yes, yes. Healing, healing healing in community um so yeah. this is what the grief cohort is about and i've got a group um starting up in like mid-february february 12th and 13th it's gonna be morning evening group so you have some options um again revogenholder.com slash grief and you can find more information about that and our book club is back tell us about the book i'm very excited about this yeah i'm very excited about it too so our 846 book club is back we did a uh, we're really good at doing a hiatus 
And we did that uh, actually intentionally. Sometimes we do it flexibly, you know, the hiatus. But we intentionally paused on doing the 846 Book Club because, you know, people, you know, it, it just can get to be a bit much kind of thing or wanting to do other things and redirecting ourselves. So we're back. And this is a phenomenal book that we're going to be doing. It's called Hospicing Modernity, Facing Humanity's Wrongs and the Implications for Social Activism. And the author is Vanessa Andrade. And I have done um, some courses with her. And it's some of my most favorite work. It starts January 22nd on Mondays. It'll go till February 26th, 7.30 to 9.30 uh, Eastern Time. And you can... Um, register on the website, ProfitSanctus.com. But we want to take a minute and actually say a little bit about what the book is. Usually we breeze right by into our topic for today. But I think it's important that we say a little bit about what we're doing. And so hospicing modernity is that's what we're doing when we say, when we talk about dismantling systems of oppression, what we're doing is hospicing modernity. We are facing what humanity got wrong. And, you know, what are those implications for being socially active? Um, it's looking at the ongoing systemic violence that we perpetuate towards one another, as well as the planet. Um, it's the, the book and the exercises and the teachings that really do, uh, you go into a, it's a deep dive. And it's really a transformative journey. I don't know another book really like it. And Vanessa Andrade is um, has been doing this work for a long time, and she's brilliant, and she's deep, she's um, friendly, she's brilliant, she, and she just keeps going. She just, there's like no end, um, and always, always moving forward, and always um, finding new ways. And, and one of the biggest things is she that she talks about is composting, um, that we have to compost, you know, what has been. And so part of that is, you know, staying with the shitstorm um because we're in a shitstorm and i uh, i love the fact that she has a chapter early in the book that says as kind of title and paraphrasing why you might not want to read this book and part of it is because she she's very clear that the work we're gonna need to do to dismantle the systems of oppression to hospice modernity you know, or or another word that gets thrown around, you know, appropriately or not, arguably uh, the decolonizing work um, mm -hmm. and decolonizing of systems is that it's going to require each of us to take a really hard look at ourselves. And some yeah. of us don't want to do that. And I remember as I was reading, you know, the chapter of, you know, here's the here's the types of people and how they might respond to this work and you know i'm going in all feeling myself because i'm like oh you know I'm, I'm 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 aware i'm i'm conscious i'm doing all the things I'm and woke. then i read i'm i'm, I'm woke <laughs> yeah i'm and then i and then i read the section the, the part that described who i was and i was like oh it was like a punch in the gut it was like mm -hmm. yeah she just called me out on my shit in a huge way and then to go like oh but wait now i'm realizing how i am still again helping to perpetuate modernity even in the quote-unquote good work 
what I'm right. doing. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, one of the descriptors of the book is this is not for the faint of heart. And it really, right. really isn't. So this is really going to if you're if you're listening and you are really serious about wanting to be part of the dismantling and the and the creating of of what can come next. If you even believe that there can be a what comes next, if you want there to be a next right. and, you know, and the world not just burn to a crisp as it's going, this, this is a huge work and yeah. I can't invite you enough into it. Um, and I know sometimes when it comes to book groups, people are all like, well, I can't make all the meetings and so on. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be a test at the end, not a pass fail. It's a come when you can read on your own. It almost feels like this is a kind of book that requires like almost a monthly discussion group after we finish reading it because it's yeah. like, you know, if if we're the only one in our circle of influence who's reading this book, like we gonna need some support because <laughs> yeah. this book invites us in into into a lot and it's a lot and and one of the things she's she's saying is that modernity as we know it is is already on its way out. It can't right. sustain itself. Right. It's 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 dying um, because the way it's designed, it's it's inflicting harm on us, on the planet. And it's, you know, capitalism, you know, patriarchy, all the things. They're not sustainable models. And we're beginning to see the, the damage that they're doing and and how they're beginning to fray and disintegrate. So we can either go down with the ship or we can consciously and actively say, let's let's usher this out and begin to really do the work to purposely create what's next in a way that doesn't create another system of oppression, but something much more equitable and inclusive and whole. Yeah, so, she says she says we need an AA for humanity. Seriously. Yeah. seriously yeah. it's um, about and and it's not just you know the focus is not you know anti-racism it's the no. system like the yes. existing systems and the promises of our existing oppressive systems that we need to you know divest from which means certainty and exceptionalism social mobility continuity so it's all the you know all the things yeah that are uncomfortable that go beyond the superficial analysis that are not going to say you know when so many of us go well what can i do or what should i do this and it takes a while because we're in this shit storm that's a multi-dimensional shit storm I, I posted something today, um, not by the author or related to the book, but I think it speaks to it. Um, it was a tweet from, I can't even, Akmat X, I can't even pronounce that, like, you know, handle. But this person writes, it's clear that most people are okay with white supremacy as long as they can engage in entry-level capitalism that numbs the pain of its oppression. Yep. And and this is where we are right now. So replace white supremacy with any other system of oppression. We're okay with it as long as, you know, we can get our purchases on time, as long as we can, you know, walk into a supermarket any time of the year and get tropical fruit, uh, you know, yeah. as, uh, like as long as the iPhone costs a reasonable amount of money and we just like either are blissfully unaware or intentionally unaware of the atrocities that go on to mine these precious minerals to make our smartphones work. And again, 
I am not standing on a high horse because as I read this tweet, I'm holding up a cell phone. So I too am part of the problem. Yeah. Right. We are, we are making we are we are recording this via Zoom and you'll listen to it on a smartphone or your computer. So so we're all in this and we just can't go like, all right, well then let's just throw all the computers into a trash heap. That's not gonna work either. So then what's the solution? And it can feel helpless, like spinning the wheels to talk about it. And at the same time, we can't not talk about it. And I think this book really sets the container for something meaningful uh, for us to move forward with. So, so yeah, what, I hope what, you will kind of, join us. Yeah, what, and what we'll walk through is what she refers to as the house that modernity built. And so we're actually going to look at that house that modernity built, the house you know, over centuries, and what each element of the house really is speaking to so it's um i know we spent you know a little more time than usual talking about um you know our upcoming book uh books book club and this is this one is different than ones we've done in the past it's just like you said Ogan, you could do a you know conversation per month um it's just kind of getting us going inviting yeah. us to to relate wider and deeper so please head over to projectsangus.com, click on the 846 book club tab and join us. Uh, we, we, we've got we've got a bunch of folks signed up already who expressed interest in signing up. So we're hoping to get a good group for this. And as always, you can support the work we're doing. Uh, by the way, this this is a free book club. There's no, no charge for entry. And if you want to support the work we're doing and us facilitating this, like this podcast and our other services, uh, projectsangus.com slash donate. Click the donate button on the website and help us out. Let's jump into a few quick headlines before our, our main topic. You must have heard all the fur around um, the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay's recent um, resignation. And I, and I wanted to talk just a little bit about this um, to lead off. Well, I'm gonna, I want to interrupt oh. you for a second. So Interrupts. Yeah, so you open that up with, you know, you've probably heard blah, blah, blah. I'm not so sure how many actually have heard or are aware. Um, or they may have heard about it in the periphery, but not, what does this mean? That's why we're here. We're here. <laughs> we're here to help you with that. Well, we're, I can, you know. you know, No, but, but you're right. You're right. I make assumptions because it, it matters. It matters to the work we do that it matters to everyone else. And and for a lot of people, it might just be a case of, oh, look, another Harvard president resigned. Let's move on. This doesn't impact my daily life. Um, yes, but, that's where uh, I was in, going. Thank you. In case you missed it, Claudine Gay was the first Black woman that was assigned as president of Harvard, the second woman in its uh, existence. And she was president for all of six months. Yeah. And part of what led to her resignation was um, there was a recent hearing, the, the House of Representative folks, they, they called it congressional hearing. Thank you. There was a congressional hearing whereby um, three presidents of universities, uh, Harvard, MIT, and uh, I'm blanking on the third one right now. They were called before Congress to address um, the protests um, around the Israeli-Palestinian not conflict, more genocide, 
um, the fact that Israeli students on campuses were being threatened and feeling unsafe and what were the presidents doing to address that. And um, so the whole conversation was, if you, I'm sure there's archives of it, was very, you know, in that tone of what are you guys doing to make sure Jewish students on campus are safe? Um, yeah, what's, what's your policy on anti-Semitism? Right. Um, and it, I mean, it was really kind of a harassment sort of interview. And Claudine Gay said some things that she later admitted I should have said them clearer and differently. But basically what she said is you just can't make a, a black and white statement about this issue. It's a lot more nuanced what's happening in our campuses than just, you know, because people are protesting in support of Palestine or or saying threatening things that uh, lives are in danger and we need to expel students like that's it's that's not as simple as that. And of course, you know, yeah, she said she said it depends on context and that right. just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was um, like throwing fuel onto the flame. Exactly. And then a lot of folks in the in the conservative world decided they would come for her and and they decided to do this by um, dredging up accusations of plagiarism. Um, what's fascinating about this is that as anyone who has written doctoral theses will tell you, there's always going to be issues around quoting and making references and your sources and all that. It happens to everyone. I'm not just saying this in events of Claudine Gay. You know who else it happened to? Uh, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. He had that happen to. You know who else it also happened to? Uh, the wife of the billionaire who was leading the charge against Claudine Gay. She also turns out lifted parts of her thesis her name is nary oxman she's supposed to be like the scholarly celebrity uh she was lifting parts to shit from wikipedia as well but what was the difference between these three individuals only them one of them was a black woman right. and noted conservative um what's his name what well, he's a reporter or something who was hell-bent on um, in his own words um, eradicating dei from all of um, the Ivy League and uh, campuses, he actually said, he tweeted, or X'd, whatever the hell you call it now, uh, when she resigned, he tweeted the word scalped as in, 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 you know, invoking this gruesome violent practice of when, um, you know, uh, Native Americans had, had the tops of their heads chopped off as surprises. So it was a horrible, calculated effort to oust her. But part of the overall big picture when we talk about how far we've come with inclusion and racism is this idea that it doesn't matter how many achievements you have. It doesn't matter how many accolades, how many letters after your name what ultimately still matters is what you look like and who the who the powers that be are okay with also being in power and for black women it's still not okay for them to be in the highest levels of office 
consistently. Well, this is one of those where I think, you know, I have these days or moments where I think we're making progress and, and I think we are here and there, and yet we're not making a lot of progress in who we consider a legitimate voice and who we consider a dangerous voice. Um, right. And so a black woman's voice, I think, is still a dangerous voice, um, regardless of the letters after her name, regardless of her CV, regard, you know, regardless of everything. Um, and it's just sickening. Yes. It's it's a it's a thing. Um, well, I, I, and I don't I just the last thing about it is that I think it's important for people to really understand the, you know, the bigger story about it. I think there's in my world, as I look around at social media or conversations, like almost nobody's talking about it. And those if it does come up, it's just, yeah, well, she should have. What do you mean? It's context and then kind of move on and without really having a the deeper understanding of everything that's really at play with this. Are you there? I think you're frozen. Okay, so while Ogan's internet has seems to have frozen, we'll go on to uh, the next headline is about the radical evangelicals who helped push January 6th to wage war on a demonic influence. So um, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, he has he has very deep ties to the groups that encourage the Capitol raid and very a lot of conviction about it. And um, this battle between supernatural forces of good and evil. And I mean, even his, you know, several weeks ago when he said that we're going to be releasing videos uh, from that day and we're going to blur the faces of people that were, you know, doing criminal acts means says he's defending you know what's uh he's defending what went on so we've just passed the three-year anniversary of the january 6th capitol riot and um while you know a lot of public horror has faded on the right certainly polling has found that republicans are less and less likely to view the january 6th rioters as violent and most of them think it's really just time to move on which again comes back to, you know, this is the house that modernity built. And some of the insurrectionists have become martyrs. Some are folk heroes. And would like you to keep in mind that there's been at least 900 people convicted of criminal um, convictions for their part in the January 6th insurrection. So welcome back, Ogan. Thank you. I moved us into the next the next story. The next headline. The um, next thank headline. You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure if you said it because I was gone, but one of the things that, that, that grabbed me around this, this story is that as, uh, you know, as we continue to investigate and hear more about what led up to January 6th, one of the, one of the uh, groups that we don't hear a lot about was, or is this Christian nationalist group called the, the new apostolic new reformation. Apostolic reformation. Yes. Okay. Did, did you mention them? <laughs> no, I was. That was okay. where I was going. I was uh, setting right. up Mike Johnson and the yes. how the Republicans. You know, there's less and less that January 6th was a problem, and they just think it's time to yes. move on. Part of the rationale behind the overthrow of January 6th was not just about 
trying to keep Trump in power. So this group, uh, this Christian nationalist group, they have an interest in philosophy, and it's called uh, Dominion Theology. And this divides society up into seven segments. They are religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. And their philosophy is that Christians should take control of each of these seven segments or these seven mountains and, and exert a top-down influence. So, so basically, we, we, we have a bunch of these Christian nationalists who, I can't see their faces in front of me, but I am going to hazard a guess, are primarily white, <laughs> deciding that they are the ones who should be in charge of the seven areas of, of, the, of our nation, the seven segments. And, and part of the overthrowing of the election on January 6th was, again, taking control of, of, the, of the government from that perspective. And these, uh, as you mentioned, Mike, Mike Johnson, the current Speaker of the House, some deep ties with them. And there's more and more evidence coming out that they were in conversation with Trump's White House at the time. Yep. leading up to January 6th and, and, and planning it. So please know that any rhetoric you hear or that your family members believe that this was just, you know, a free speech protest that got out of hand. No, this was not. This was a very planned, orchestrated, attempt, attempted coup of our government. And there's there's... If you haven't watched the the hearings about it, there's former members of the Proud Boys who said, "Yes, we knew what we were doing. We brought weapons, we bought guns, we bought explosives. This was gonna be a a violent overthrow. That was that was the intention." So, um, well, and if and just to to put a little context in it on it, as far as this group, uh, they're considered neo charismatic Pentecostals, and praise Jesus. Yeah, but it's, you know, many of us are, um, you know, it's beyond the old Christian right. You know, remember the moral majority, you know, in the 80s? So that was about, you know, social conservative values. This is well beyond that. This is about out and out spiritual warfare. And if you're not part of this, then you are under the influence of Satan and demons and you know, you need to be destroyed. It really is about destruction and violence and genocide and overturning the, you know, rule of law. And while some of us might be listening to that, kind of like rolling our eyes and chuckling and going like, these folks believe some craziness, I'll just remind you, look where this craziness almost got us, right? People were killed on January 6th. The government was almost overthrown and let's not forget that the you know the the person they were trying to keep in power who as continues to be shown was part of the orchestrator of that event is the front runner for president of the Republican party again this is an over folks <laughs> like it's not and i think many of us are just you know assuming he lost last time he'll lose again 
and you know biden is not doing himself any favors with his continued you know unconditional allegiance of with israel and a lot of a lot of folks that he's losing he's losing a lot of support in this so yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna be a thing but but i i thought it was important for us to 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 point out that there's 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 a whole religious undercurrent to this as well it's not just political because some people see them as one and the one and the same but let's wrap up with with a little bit of good news and uh shout out to two of my favorite stars who just won some golden globes uh io edibri edibiri and dubai join randolph these are two amazing black women who are actors in some phenomenal uh shows they just won uh, their very first Golden Globes. Uh, Io Idabiri was in The Bear. If you've not watched The Bear on Hulu, you are missing out on what I thought personally was like my top three TV shows of 2023 um, and 22. Uh, there was two seasons. Phenomenal show. Phenomenal show. Um, you have to watch it. And then, and if uh, you don't have Jordan. Hulu, if you don't have Hulu, you're just SOL. You know, I I will <laughs> never <laughs> encourage piracy. <laughs> And that's all I'm going to say. Got it. <clears throat> dot, dot, dot. I, will never well, I was encourage feeling piracy. left out since I don't have Hulu. I'm like, hey, wait, what about me? I, you know? I will never encourage piracy. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, wink, wink. I thought I gave you my Hulu login. Didn't I give you my Hulu login? A while back, but, but it, you, I thought. Oh, that's right. I don't. Hulu. I did. I did. That's right. I don't have Hulu anymore. Oh, yeah. My bad. <laughs> uh, again. Don't encourage piracy. Dot dot right. dot. Anyways, um, and Divine Joy Randolph, uh, she was um supporting actress in The Holdovers, um, a d- brilliant movie uh, starring Paul Giamatti as well. Um, mm. so yeah, um, congratulations for them. It's a little bit of black black woman joy bringing some light to our world, um, right now, and um, some powerful storytelling. Um, so go go check them out. All right. Um, on that happy note, let us. Um, transition to our uh, main topics, um, which will be a two-parter this week and our next show. As you know, um, MLK Day is almost upon us, and we thought it would be a good time to once again revisit. And honestly, I think part of it, part of the revisiting is in connection with the hospice and modernity as well. Um, The idea of beloved community. Now, to be clear, Reverend King was not the one who came up with this idea of beloved community. This this goes back to a philosopher and theologian, Josiah Royce, and and he founded the Fellowship of Reconciliation. However, it was Dr. King who really popularized the term and brought it into into the 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 everyday parlance of folks, and and who also kind of kind of expanded our vision of what that could be as it also related to to racial equity and also just general goodwill ahimsa all the things so 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 take us in a little bit with a with a deeper dive yeah i well one of the reasons i wanted to talk about it the beloved community is because my experience in spiritual communities and, and faith communities is largely that people I don't really think they understand what, you know, what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, what beloved community really meant to him and 
and what it really was about and the, you know, the, the structure of it and the principles of it and that it was not this idyllic, you know, um, rapturous kind of thing, but it was really about being in the trenches of everyday life. And there's six principles to this beloved community. So we'll talk about three today and then three next week. But there's more to it than I think people realize. And when I say more to it, I mean more to it like icky, ugly, hard, you know, violent elements of it. You know, he even says in the first principle, you know, it's not a method for cowards. He says, and he talks about it being aggressive. It's aggressive, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Well, I, you know, I think we struggle in spiritual communities with the word aggressive, like what well, we're supposed to be nice and kind and sweet, and we're going for harmony and peace. And it wasn't, um, you know, going for harmony and peace, yes. And it's messy and bloody along the way. So well, part of it, part of it is ongoing misunderstanding of that word love. Yeah. And and we assume that anything that is based in love will be peaceful and feel good. Right. Yeah. So if we have a quote unquote beloved community, it means that we all just getting along and we just welcoming everybody. And as we've talked ad nauseum, because we say we welcome everyone doesn't mean we actually have a community in place that fosters belonging of everyone. Those are not the same thing. And just declaring you welcome, you're welcoming doesn't make you welcoming um, as well. Right. And, you know, my favorite James Baldwin quote is about, you know, love is messy. Love is a growing up. Love is a war. So so this idea that if we truly want, um, oh, and let's not forget Corn Cornel West, who talks about justice is love in action, right? Yeah. Underscore the word action, not feeling, action. Right. So 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 this idea of of beloved community needing to be something that we actually got to do some blood, sweat, and tears around. You're right. In spiritual communities, we tend to focus on the, we tend to focus on, let's just, let's just pretend that the work is done and imagine the feel goodness of beloved community. And that's where we're going to live as opposed to actually doing the work to get there. Yeah. And it's not just the other place where I think spiritual communities or spiritual seekers where they get stuck is is in the you know well we have to change consciousness okay and you need to get up off your affirmation and and get into the into the action into where it can get messy but Re but but reverend kelly but reverend kelly we've we've done that we've we've said some things we've had some book groups we've attended some classes and workshops we're actually talking about like racism and stuff at church now. Like, I mean, what, what else are we going to do? We've done it for the last three years and like nothing's really changed. And I'm kind of tired now. Sorry. I was, <laughs> no, I was, I was channeling. I was just channeling. Yeah, I was just waiting for you to Sorry. be done. <laughs> like, that's, um, that's all I got. That, yeah, and it's enough. <laughs> I've said those things. I've heard those things. It, it makes sense. And what it one thing it says to us, it makes sense in that I, I can see how someone gets there. It also points to the fact that, yes, we need to be in the resistance. You know, this is not about not having resistance. And you and I talk about rest, restore, repair, resist. So there's the rest element, right? Where I might step back and, you know, care for myself and, you know, and, and that this journey, this, 
you know, being active also is, you know, I use some grace and humor and, um, and resting, you know, resting the body, and, resting the mind and, yeah, and yeah. coming and back. That's the thing. Resting doesn't mean disengaging. No. <laughs> um, and I think what some folks are uh, doing is uh, confusing their apathy for rest. Yes. And we got to oh, pay attention good. to that. That's good. So the beloved community was uh, King created this these six principles, these fundamental philosophy of nonviolence and these fundamental tenets of philosophy of nonviolence um, has these six principles. And he actually he got his inspiration from Jesus and Gandhi. And he said the same thing as you said, Cornell West said, you know, love in action is his these principles and his campaigns were to emphasize love in action. We just either don't get or don't want to get or have a hard time embracing that love in action is messy. <laughs> so, well, it also requires the part of the messiness is it requires us to give up our call to question, at least our creature comforts, our securities, our certainties, our worldviews. And which is what our book study is about. See what I did there? I, I know. Teed that up. Teed You're that brilliant. Up for you. But but we have to because if because it is all those things that have gotten us to this current situation with the world being on fire. Yeah. Right. I, I feel it's important for us to keep reiterating it. We are not preaching down to you. We also realize we are part of the problem. <laughs> okay. Because right. we have benefited from the creature comforts of modernity, right. of of like, you know, two day delivery from Amazon without asking, you know, wh what what are the warehouse workers going through? Uh, yeah. You know, the, the again, the benefits of our modern technology without realizing that part of the reason the Congo is in such a mess right now is because of of the wars and related to the mining of precious minerals. By the way, none of these folks are like, you know, being paid well, or if at all, being paid and unionized or anything like that. Like that, that doesn't happen there, right? So it barely happens in the US as it is. We are willing to accept, you know, I, I love, again, that tweet I mentioned earlier, the entry level into capitalism, because the vast majority of us are not we're wealthy. There is a great, have you seen this thing going around? It's basically the trying to explain in the graphic um, how rich Jeff Bezos really is. Oh, and yeah. the 180, he's like he's worth 185 billion or something ridiculous like that, or Amazon is, I don't know. And you basically are scrolling. <laughs> so the day is like, here's what the average person makes. And it's like a little square. And, you know, some of us are millionaires in the bigger square. And they're like, here's what on the same scale, here's what Jeff Bezos is like. And I have not gone to the end of this thing yet. I am still like, you scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. The the average person cannot imagine, contemplate, wrap their minds around what that level of wealth is. Mm -hmm. And 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 there and these are the folks who can who are controlling what happens in the world and for their own gain. And because of the way they're creating things, we are becoming we have become dependent on them and their services. So, yeah, what what are we gonna do to give up those creature creature comforts? How much more? Uh, what what are the discount shopping apps? Uh, this one called um, 
T-E-M-U, Temu, which you can get. Oh, you yes. Get shit for dirt cheap on that app, right? And, yeah. And, you know, what is, who's suffering for the mass production of these items? Are we taking the time, you know, to, to ask? Yeah. yeah. Earthwise, like, you know, the resources, the, you know, certainly labor. I mean, how many little nine-year-old Filipino children are sitting in a, some some building making these products that Timu sells you for seven ninety nine. Um, exactly, exactly, yeah. and and creature comforts like uh, even even chocolate, right? So yeah, you know, if you if you haven't if you don't watch uh, last week tonight, I think it's up on YouTube. You know, John Oliver did a great takedown um, late last year around um, chocolate wow. manufacturing, right? And how basically there's you know four or five big chocolate um manufacturers that are the like the bridge between where you know the where the crops are grown and brands we recognize like nestle and hershey and mars and stuff like that they're the ones who 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 kind of own the the chocolate fields and or buy from those in developing countries that, that grow these crops that in, include child labor um, that pay them next to nothing uh, for their products. It's not fair trade, and right. it's you know. And I mean, listen, I, I I love me some chocolate. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I love me some chocolate bars. I love me some crunchies. I love me what else? Sort of like Skittles aren't chocolate. I can list a bunch of candies that I chocolates that I love. And when I go to buy them and I sink my teeth in that delicious caramel nougat and chocolate, I am not thinking about the like you said the 9 10 11 year old who is out chop, chopping the cocoa pods and making next to nothing if anything but that's what it costs for me to get that deliciousness in my mouth well because and... because so what happens as spiritual seekers very often and when we talk about transforming life transforming our world we have this lovely well the interconnectedness of life it's just lots of people have this cognitive, you know, you can see their words in their head. However, what they're not, what a lot of us, and I had to make this actually a spiritual practice is to exactly what you just said. When you put that piece of chocolate in your mouth, pause for a minute and what had to happen through the life of this piece of chocolate to get it to your hand and into your mouth. And that's the interconnectedness of life. And what you find, if you do an honest connect the dots, you'll find child labor, you'll find, you know, um, violation of human rights, you'll find, you know, destroying earth, you'll find all these things that you, you know, say you don't believe in and you want to change. Well, then you need to change where you're getting public. And before we get back to the principles, um, yeah. the nonviolent principles, um, again, none of this is intended to to shame. Again, yeah. this is this is about awareness. So 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 do a little legwork. To, you know, spend fifteen minutes on Google looking up where does who manufactured this chocolate, where right. did it come from, and then and then look for the companies that actually do engage in fair trade practices, do pay the chocolate growers well, do not engage as far as they can tell in child in child labor and and then change your buying habits. Does it mean you might spend a little more? Yes. Does it mean you might be doing some good for the world? Yes. And the more of us that do it, 
the more it will encourage the unethical manufacturers to change their ways. And we know this. We we know this because this happened with, for example, organic foods, right? Remember when right. at first organic foods were that so much more expensive, no one was buying them. And right. then they realized, oh, wait, oh, I actually want to put good shit into my body. And then all of a sudden people are buying organic. And now all these corporations and factory farms that used to not do organic things are now... <laughs> Right. You know, have a have a whole organic line because for them it's always about the bottom line. So so if we can make money doing this, then they will do it too. So is are they are they are they engaging in altruistic practices because they have a good conscience? No, they're doing it to make money. But at least if they do it, it's doing some good. I don't mind paying more for some good to be done. Right. I don't mind paying more for an evil company to do some good. Right. Well, one of the one of the um, a, a really good app that I've used for a long time is called Better World, and yes. and in Better World you can just you can look up almost anything you want, of of any product in your life, not just food, but anything, and see how companies are rated in terms of, you know, treating employees and human rights and environmental impact and and and, um, and it's a good way yes. to educate yourself. So should I move us back to our beloved community principles? Yes, please. <laughs> let's, actually, is, let's actually talk about the thing we said we were going to talk I about. I know, right? So <laughs> we're just going to, you know, um, I mentioned a little bit of principle one. So I want to um, identify, first of all, that there are these six philosophy, these six principles of nonviolence. And then he also had six steps of nonviolent social change, which we'll get to next time. So, but principle one says nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people, meaning it's not a method for cowards. Uh, it does resist. And I think it's not a method for cowards. Like the first time I heard that, um, I kind of went, ooh, like it felt a little ouchy because it requires some self-reflection and maybe I am being a little bit cowardice because I'm afraid of losing you know, comforts. Um, I'm afraid because I don't know what's going to come next. And so, you know, I'm afraid of, can get afraid doing it of wrong. modernity I'm, or doing it wrong. Yeah. 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 The, the, uh, another element of this principle, nonviolence is a way of life, which I think is really important. It's not, it really is changing how you live in your world. It's an active nonviolent resistance to evil. I think the evil word really trips a lot of people up because it was very good. I was say, especially for some spiritual slash Christian slash religious folk who think of evil as this supernatural entity or a force versus the the everyday actions of people maintaining systems of supremacy. Yeah. And also, I think in some spiritual circles, because of the you know, spiritual bypassing becoming, you know, more ingrained or the, the, you know, I only want to feel good is actually a resistance to the idea of evil, you know, and you can call it whatever you want, but there's, yeah, evil. I've heard people okay. say evil does, evil does not exist in the world. Yeah. Go look, know, go, I, go. I've said it. I, I, there was, there was a time where I said yeah. it too. And again, to reiterate, I don't believe there is some supernatural force of right. evil and people do some evil shit every day. <laughs> well, and he, he, Martin Luther King actually equates injustice to evil. 
Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, you know, to, but I, I think if we can, you know, we have this allergy to the word evil. And I think if we, rather than reword it, if we can learn to take on the word evil and, and what, how he's really using it and what it really means, he's not talking about people. He's talking about systems of oppression. He's talking about injustice. He's talking about um, cowardice, right? That those are all, you know, that's evil. Uh, and if we can, I think if we can kind of uh, understand it a little bit, I was going to say embrace it. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but but get the allergy out and that that it does exist. You know, talk to the little kids that are chopping cocoa beans out of the tree, cocoa pods, and, you know, being starved and and living in hellish conditions. Like, tell them that evil doesn't exist. And then the last thing about uh, principle one is that it's aggressive. I said it before. It's aggressive spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. So I, you know, I hear the word it's aggressive spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and I think we can get stuck just like the word evil. I think we can get stuck with that word aggressive that we tend to think of aggressive as like pushing on like power over that it's a, a wrong way to be to be aggressive. And I think I embody, you know, being aggressive spiritually, mentally, emotionally is, uh, you know, aggressively standing on principle, like not being this is, you know, standing on, you know, with justice and not and aggressively standing on principle and not moving off it. So I think that's one of the things for us to, you know, to take on because to to live a nonviolent way of life, I need to do some introspection on aggressive. Principle two says nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. Nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. So the first thing about that that uh, King means is that the outcome of nonviolence is the creation of a beloved community. And again, keeping in mind that a beloved community doesn't mean, you know, kumbaya and, and all peace and um, all feel good, right? That the beloved community is really, um, you know, a result of moving through battles, right? And, and as we move through battles, uh, a new relationship comes into being um, and it's new relationships between the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, and that's what I think is that, um, you know, when King says nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding is um, that the end result of nonviolence is reconciliation. Um, but it takes, uh, but it's not, it's not, the beloved community is not created with the tools that created what we have today, that it's, you know, dismantling and hospicing modernity um, in order to move into reconciliation. And then finally, principle three um, of these six principles says that nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice or evil, not people. So nonviolence, the, the way of nonviolence is to seek uh, to defeat injustice, like period. So it's not uh, the people, it's not people, which I know these days is really hard because there are people imparting injustice and and doing anything possible to to have injustice, you know, 
win the day and rule the day. And so nonviolence recognizes that evildoers or those that, that work to impart and to build up injustices um, and have power over are also victims. And that's really hard, I think, sometimes to see when you are on the receiving end um, and you are being um, oppressed and you know violently and um, because of your race, because of your gender, because of um, who you choose to love. So yeah, it's hard. That's a tough one. Nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice or evil, not people. Um, and recognizing that those people who don't work to defeat injustice are also victims. That's a really hard one for me. So I'm just going to leave that one lie. It's an ongoing lifelong journey. And then finally, for principle three, another element of that is that the nonviolent resistor seeks to defeat evil, not people victimized by evil. Um, so as a resistor, I'm seeking to defeat injustice, which means I'm going to bump up against people, which means there's going to be some battles, which means I have to aggressively um, you know, stand spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. So those are the, the first three uh, tenets, fundamental tenets of Dr. King's philosophy of nonviolence. And uh, MLK Day is coming up next Monday, January 15th. So next, uh, our next podcast, which we'll, we'll do on January 16th, we will um, say a little bit more about the beloved community and um, principles four, five, and six, and also the how do you do this? Because not only are these six principles that King created, but there's six steps, right? His campaigns, his teachings that really were about emphasizing love and action. So thank you for joining us today. Keep in mind that you can, if you enjoy what you hear, if you want to support what we're doing, you can go to projectsanctus.com and make a donation. You can um, listen to us. Uh, our You can find our podcasts on podbean.com with Love and Justice for All. You can listen to more of them and also on any podcast. Now I forgot. Platform. 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 Thank you. See, you came back right when I needed you. <laughs> yes, in, on in any podcast time. platform. I'm trying to wrap up and I realize that you always do it. So go ahead because it's much smoother. <laughs> Oh, you were doing you were you were doing great yes tell tell your friends about us we can find us on any podcast platform online at with love and justice for all at podbean.com as kelly said projectsangus.com to support our work my apologies uh the router went dead everybody lost internet for about a couple minutes now it's back up so here i am right in the nick of time to yay. wrap this up yay <laughs> <laughs> yes um and please please sign up for our 846 book club, um, Hospice and Modernity. Um, as you heard at the top of the show, visit our books, our bookstore sponsor, um, blissbooksandwine.com, based in Kansas City. Um, it is a black-owned bookstore. And hopefully you can join us for the book club starting January 22nd. So until we meet again. Let's get our holy on. Let's get our holy on.